0: In this episode, we speak to Ross Bauer, a highly experienced manager who has overseen strategic development activities, projects and programs, capability development, and mentoring specialists in the finer points of program project management, as he's very keen on the development of people. Ross also reveals how he assesses sustainability issues that are often at the heart of his business cases. An extract from his advice being that the benefit to the community or species will always be a priority. Ross also provides insight into how COVID-19 impacted both businesses and wildlife unique to New Zealand, and what this has meant for those who are in the project and programme profession in conservation. Ross offers his advice on what it is that makes a successful leader, how to manage people effectively, and crucially, the three things he wished he knew when he was first starting out in his career. To quote one of Ross's snippets of wisdom, surround yourself with smarter people than you. As a project or program manager, you're the conductor, not the orchestra. Listen on to gain some invaluable tips from our leading expert of the week. Welcome to this episode of Implementing Best Practice in Business. We're here to help you and your organization understand and implement global best practice to help you face the business challenges of today. Join me, Richard Farrow, CEO of APMG International, in talking to leaders and practitioners who've applied these frameworks and practices to boost their productivity. They're here, willing to share their knowledge and experience to help you learn from them so you can do the same to make you more competitive in today's market. My guest today is Ross Bauer. Ross has over 30 years' experience in delivering projects and programmes and currently heads the New Zealand Department of Conservation Portfolio Office. This also incorporates their centre of excellence. The Department of Conservation have up to 700 investments or projects and programmes and they're on the go at any one time. Their project teams are unusual. They include many enthusiastic people who are highly competent in their field but often lack PPM skills. Consequently, Ross spends most of his time supporting and enabling people so they can deliver the more complex investments through his support, coaching, training and what he calls leaning in, as well as undertaking some governance assurance. By nature, he's a collaborative person and has built very strong vendor relationships and managed geographically dispersed teams. He's also passionate about enabling people to succeed while also ensuring the department retains its reputation for global excellence to give confidence to their investors. He clearly enjoys visiting many of these projects, which are in some of the most picturesque landscapes in the world. Ros, welcome from New Zealand. Thank you very much, Richard. Ross, I imagine the Department of Conservation's projects and programmes cover a wide range of specialisms. Yeah, What's your favourite or what's your most unusual programme or project that you've been working on in the last sort of 20 to 30 years?
1: Uh, um, with the with Department of Conservation, we've got two really interesting um, large investments. Um, one's called Predator Free 2050, which is an aspiration to make the country um, predator-free by that stage. We have a lot of introduced mammals and Um, ungulates and, um, plant diseases and pathogens, which we, um, are not helping our biodiversity. So we've got a pretty, very good team on that. And, uh, I have conversations with, um, monthly, um, often. And, um, that's just fascinating what they do. And part of their work is, um, and includes our sub-Antarctic islands, which we've just got one set to go, the Auckland Islands, to make the sub antarctics very free So they're doing fantastic work. And um, it's really, really enjoyable talking with these people um, to see their passion, to see their skill, and to see them um, applying good project disciplines to uh, achieve their goals. That's great. Another one is we um had a event event February last year um down in southern South Island, which wiped out a lot of our um visitor um assets, like bridges and tracks and things like that. It's been a very big program to get that right and um the chap we've got Tom running that is a bit of a star, and seeing how he's p- pulling the strings. To um, to bring it all together so that our visitors can enjoy that again, as um, something else, he's a very competent project manager, and um, shows he's just doing it very well, and it's a pleasure to watch.
0: So, so if you think about Tom, you do have some enthusiastic specialists that can yeah. understand or work within the constraints of a program or project. But what yes. about the rest of them? Yeah, did the people of that of that uh, of that capability, you know, specialist yeah. scientists, whatever you want to call them. Yes. Do they normally accept the constraints of a program or project, or do they want to do it in a different way?
1: Well, if we talk about the scientists, um the scientists have disciplines of their own, which don't naturally align with um project and program management. Um so it's, if we spend a bit of time tailoring the approach with them to make sure that um, they can progress, we're not getting in their way, and that um, if we, we have this investor confidence rating assessment every few years, and so we need to make sure that's not going to reflect badly on its, um, their activities. So there's a lot of conversation. Some of it's um, enjoyable so it's not so enjoyable, um, but um, generally people do their best and um, they understand why we do things um, within a framework. Um, but they also have their own frameworks, like your IT people. They have they um, use um, lean-direct um, delivery methods or agile or that some things just have to be waterfall. Um, and, and that all fits within our frameworks. So, a um, kind of delivery method agnostic, it's best also, of course, really.
0: I mean, clearly, the type of work you do is all around uh, sustainability, all around environmental issues, environment impacts on, on the country. Um, I've often wondered, though, how can you build environmental and sustainability issues? Into a commercial business case. Yeah. Can these things be quantified? Do you have some approaches to quantify them? Or are they always as a byproduct of a of a commercial proposal? Yeah. How do, you know, at the leading edge of this stuff, you know, what do you do to actually build those, for want of a better word, softer issues yeah. into a commercial business case? Can you give us some tips?
1: Okay, so every investment we make, here's the that- have to have benefits that align to our strategies. That's just common sense And um, our business. Very few of our um, benefits are financially quantifiable. So we work more on the qualitative um, than quantitative benefits. And we can have, we have some very good numbers about if we can get people into nature, then they, their health risk will diminish and that will reduce the load on our health system by so many thousands of dollars. So we can quantify that. Um, We work very closely with our um, treaty partners in New Zealand, and a lot of what we do is beneficial to them and to our relationships with them. Um, It's part of our um, treaty settlements that we work with them. And it's it's very beneficial to us also because we, we learn other um, other methods of um, approaching biodiversity um, issues. So we can quantify those we can qualify those benefits by saying we have gained this knowledge and we have increased our engagement with with these groups um, and the benefit to the community is the collaboration set of pulling against each other. So we go forward uh, much quicker. So we focus on qualitative, not quantitative. And that's how we do it. We follow the better business case, five case model. But we do it right back to five questions. Um, they the same five questions, but um, we seldom get business cases of, more than twenty pages, and benefits is a big chunk of that.
0: Is it possible, though, with um, those qualitative benefits? Is it possible to then prioritise? Yeah, you know, yes. on what basis would you bi- prioritise the investment if um, if it is a qualitative assessment? That's
1: that's benefit to the community um, or benefit to the the species. Um. If we have a species like our kakapo, um, another parrot, um, which is on the brink of extinction, if we can increase their population, of the priority scoring or their benefit of two low, five medium, ten high, they would always score ten, yeah. for example. Understood. And so for the, for, for the prioritisation method is quite simplistic it's multi multi-criteria um but quite a simple one um which we're which is developing um, we haven't used it in anger yet um but that that's how we, that's how we approach things
0: hmm. interesting but i also understand that you're looking at different ways of delivering your investment um, your investment portfolio what do you have in mind? Yeah, you know, what what what's 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 the game plan to to do that?
1: Okay, when when um, our former colleague of, of mine we arrived at DOC about five years ago, to the uh, conservation, and we couldn't understand the framework that was there, so um, we formed a team and collaboratively with our people that are doing the projects, developed a new framework. And roll that out and it successfully. So, this existing framework that was there that people would do their very best to avoid got morphed into something that most of them would ever go at. Um, uh, but there's still some people that have difficulty with it. So, and that what, what that is, it's, it's really dialed down prints and MSP and use the better business case type um, business case. But some people still find it very difficult, people that we need to um, deliver stuff and be able to exercise controls across that. So it's about time to revisit that again because it's been in for three years. Um, And looking at things like the Praxis Framework, which goes along a continuum that really appeals. Whereas you have PRINCE2 and MSP, they've got distinct similarities, um, and but distinct differences. Um, and MSP and management portfolios, same again. It looks like a continuum, but those, those differences make it difficult. Um, but from what I've read and studied so far, practice goes on a continuum, which will make it much easier for our people to comply, is probably the wrong word, but to imply comply <laughs> um, with what we need them to do and get on with what they need to do. Um, so that, we're not saying we're going to go practice, but that's one of the a strong options in my mind.
0: Yeah, because my understanding, I mean, the, the practice thing is you say, yeah, you know, what is the difference between a project and a program in terms of the tools and techniques you apply? And and a lot of it is really about how you define a project or a program in scale or investment. But if you remove that artificial barrier and say this is the approach we're going to adopt, you know, we can call it what we like, but but it is, you know, you don't have that big debate about I'm a senior project manager or am I a junior program manager? Yeah, That's you're all delivering it, and I like your your approach, where it's an investment. Mm. yeah, yes. You know, you call it an investment because that's what it is. It's an investment within a framework and then you don't get hung up on you know, those those debates about whether it's a project program or indeed a portfolio.
1: That's right. And we, we work on the, the theory that the project will deliver outputs, the program will deliver outcomes, and the portfolio um, satisfies strategies. And that is a nice continuum. And a project may become a program quite easily. So if we're still following the same process, that saves a lot of rework and will make a lot of people a lot happier.
0: So how many people do you have in the department? How many people do you have that, uh, that are delivering parts of the investment program? Is it a large team or...?
1: In um, the, the department, we have about 3,500 people. But it's quite a good size. Um, we would have, oh, it's very hard to say, we're running, we'd have 700 odd projects on at any one time of different complexities and plan programs. Um, and for each of those investments, would have multiple people. So we'd probably have 1,000 to 1,500 people at any one time working on one of our investments.
0: It is, it is a, a significant community of collaborators.
1: It is. Um, most of them, we don't have the capacity to support. Um, every month we run a little course to help them along, but um, we only really look after the major investments on mm. the complex portfolio um, because... Um, That's all we've got the capacity to do, and that's quite a few um, investments
0: in, in itself. Ross, we're coming to the end, maybe, of COVID. Yeah. You know, COVID's been with us for a few years. Most places are opening up. I know New Zealand closed its borders early in the pandemic. Yeah. But has that been beneficial to the environment in New Zealand? Have you noticed any noticeable changes Due to the absence of tourists, I would imagine clearly the tourism industry was badly, badly hit. Yes. But in terms of you know, areas that were overrun by tourism leading up to COVID-19, have you seen them bounce back? Are there any stories you could share?
1: For, for example, in, um, in, the, in the South Ireland, we have the main divide at Mountain Range that goes along along South Island, And one of the passes you can go through it's called Arthur's Pass, and it's a my favourite spot for tourists to stop and um, have a look around. And we've got this cheeky to Kea and so it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful bird. But it's it really suffers from eating human food, um, and it's that it doesn't that doesn't um, help the population at all. And with the lack of um, tourism, tourism, they've they've bounced back a bit, from what I understand, because they've stuck to their own food. They haven't been eating windscreen wipers from camper vans <laughs> and things like that. Um, so that, that's that's been really healthy for them. It's also allowed a whole lot of Kiwis to have the space to get to our great outdoors, um, as they've done, um, because they've been able to book instead of the overseas tourists coming and booking all out. Um, facilities um, and it's also allowed us to accelerate some of the work on our visitor assets because they haven't been so insanely busy um, they can schedule some work in there to, um, to get the visitor assets going um, a little bit better it also allowed um, a lot of our biodiversity work to to proceed but on the other side of the coin um, the lack of international visitors has meant that our income has been substantially reduced and that income has funded a lot of biodiversity um, activity. so that has suffered so we're looking at um, how else we can fund those things and we have some very good partners like here in New Zealand and Frontier who are our milk giant they help us out a lot and um, sponsor a lot of work That would be great to see the tourists back to to get their money Hmm.
0: (laughs) to to, to invest in the reasons they're coming to New Zealand
1: that's right the the, the money that they invest in us we invest in biodiversity yeah and it's
0: it's great yeah it must be um yeah, you've had, you've had sort of a, an interesting career and clearly the work you're doing now it is fascinating and, and very important considering that, you know, the state of the environment is globally. Yeah. But um, what three things do you know now that you would have loved to have known when you started your career? Yeah. What What is what are the three sort of lessons that, that come to mind you know, based on what you've done over your period?
1: Well, number one is surround yourself with smarter people. <laughs> um, you're you're the conductor, you're not the orchestra. Um, as a project manager, and if you've got really really smart people around, it? it's the team that delivers. The project manager doesn't deliver; the team does. And um, I saw that um, written on LinkedIn the other day, and that really resonated. With me. It, it thought, I think it. Look, if I'd known that thirty years ago, um, things might have been. Different, because um, I, I I did try to do too much. Mm. Um, and another one is, don't s- pick a method of delivering and stick to it, because it's not appropriate always. So you, you get the best horse for course, and you you run with that. So you could you got to widen your um, your viewpoint and say here we work within these methodologies, but there's different ways of, different methods of delivery within those methodologies. Um, and I think that's a sticking point for some people. They, they see things like um, lean and kanban and agile, and I think that's a methodology. It's not, it's just a method of delivering. Um, so project managers and program managers Will really benefit by widening their their view, and that's something I've really um, learned. Uh, I, I learned that about twenty years ago, and it was, it was great when we were doing prototyping, which is probably today's agile. <laughs> <laughs> it's called prototyping, and um, we'd make products, small products, and then they contribute to the whole. And we thought this is wonderful, and and we use that now and then as appropriate. And the other thing I learned that I used to do, because I was told to do, um, was I'd get a project, be given the book to say you run the project, and you start at page one, you finish at page 200, and you make a wall full of folders instead of picking out the pages that you actually need. <laughs> Just pick out the pages. Don't, you're there to deliver a product, not quite not, fill up a wall, fill up a disk. With, with documents. Um, some are necessary, like your requirements and your plans and things like that. Your criteria for um quality. But don't do what you don't have to do. And um that's that's a very important yes.
0: But but that uh, that does come with experience, doesn't it? You've got to do it by the book once. It does to know what you don't need to do by the book the next time.
1: Yeah, yeah. that's right. And it's also where mentors and coaches come in. But um, for, for new project managers, if you can grab a mentor or get a little coach, you'll save a lot of time and a lot of grief because mm. um, you'll have someone to bounce ideas off and, and to learn from. Um, it's, it's crucial.
0: Yeah. Fascinating. Ross, it's, it's been great talking to you. Many thanks for the time. I thank know you. our time differences are very different. I hope you are inundated with visitors to New Zealand this year so that uh, the you. country bounces back and, and the parrots get the bad food again. They'll be off their healthy diet and onto their unhealthy diet. Many yes. thanks for for spending your time with us. Thank you.
1: Right, thank you very much. Great.
0: Thank you for listening. We are always keen to hear your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. You can find all the information in the show notes below. Please visit apmg-international.com to find out more about our accredited training and the certifications that support them that are related to the topics discussed in this series. I hope you've enjoyed today and I look forward to you joining future episodes while we continue our exploration into best practice and the benefits it brings to global business. Thank you.